ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on DK Sports Radio. This is your host, as always, Jared Prugar, and thanks again for listening. Now, we have quite a bit of time until the season starts, but let's take a look at the Penn State schedule for 2021 as far as the football field is concerned, because to me, this is probably one of the more intriguing starts of the season uh, in, in recent memory. The Nittany Lions head to Madison, Wisconsin to take on the Wisconsin Badgers, who, you know, are a tough team to play against uh, at home. So, you know, the Nittany Lions have to go on the road for a conference game to start the season. That's never an ideal situation for Penn State, for anybody. Um, because as you saw last year when Penn State went on the road to begin the season at Indiana, they just came up inches away um, from a season-altering uh, victory or a season, you know, a demoralizing um, loss, whichever way you want to look at it as far as the result is concerned against um, the Hoosiers last year. But now they don't. the Nittany Lions don't have any room for error as they head to, to Wisconsin uh, to, to take on the Badgers because <laughs> that's week one. You know, every win matters in the Big Ten. Every win matters every week uh, as the Nittany Lions try and strive to get to the college football playoff for the first time in program history and get back to the Big Ten championship for the first time since 2016, um, a place where they played Wisconsin as Saquon Barkley uh, took on T.J. Watt and the Wisconsin Badgers, coached by Paul Christ. Um, you know, and, and the Nittany Lions were, were quarterbacked by uh, Trace McSorley and, uh, and one of the more impressive teams on both sides of the football um, as far as that goes, just watching T.J. Watt do his work and watching Saquon Barkley uh, do Saquon Barkley things uh, as far as beating T.J. Watt. Sorry, Pittsburgh Steelers fans who are listening. Um, as far as beating T.J. Watt on a wheel route uh, to help the Nittany Lions secure the Big Ten Championship. But it doesn't. The season doesn't begin and end in Wisconsin. It begins there. It does not end there. So, you know, they the Nittany Lions follow Wisconsin up with four games in a row at home. Three of those are non-conference. Now, one's against Ball State. I don't think the Nittany Lions should have any problem with Ball State. Um, then they host Auburn. They host the Tigers, who are kind of in the middle of a of, of you know they obviously they have have a brand new staff in, in Auburn, but you know, it, it's kind of just the, the, the Tigers aren't necessarily the Tigers that we, we knew of from five or six years ago. Um, you know, when let's say back to Cam Newton, back to those guys, um, who performed and, and, you know, got Gus Malzahn, uh, to that, that, that upper echelon of, of coaching, um, who's now at, uh, UCF. So that, is a little different. Now, it's not the same Auburn. Now, granted, you're hosting Auburn. Most SEC teams don't come north um, earlier, uh, that early, right? They don't come north um, in September. But Auburn's there. Now, next year, in 2022, Penn State does go to uh, go to Auburn. So that'll be a nice little home-and-home home for the Nittany Lions. It should be, you know, a competitive football game. It's not very often where Penn State takes on a SEC team especially beginning of the season. So that's huge. Um, that could be a big win, and that could be a big, big factor um, later in the season 
if the Nittany Lions are able to pull off a win against the Tigers. Because if the Nittany Lions are going into, you know, say let's let's say Penn State is ten and two or ten or eleven and one, um, going into the Big Ten championship game, and they're probably going to face, let's say, uh, uh, you know, a Wisconsin or an Iowa or somebody from the Western West Division of the Big Ten. You know, you look at the the body of work. Auburn, depending on the win loss record in the SEC conference, is is going to be huge because guess what? You look at Ball State. Yeah, I'm not impressed. You look at Villanova. Not necessarily impressed with that either. But you look at an Auburn, you see SEC, and you're like, oh well, that's you know that's pretty impressive. That's a that's a good thing for the Nittany Lions. Um, now, you know, looking looking beyond that, you got. Villanova, then you're back into the Big Ten, and the Big Ten conference schedule is never easy. And in Penn State's division, in the East Division, you've got Michigan, Ohio State, you've got Indiana, which is starting to under um, Tom Allen. They are a very good program. Um, they are a very, very good, very disciplined very structured program and that's exactly what indiana has needed over the course of the years now they also have ohio state they have rutgers who's on the up and up with greg Schiano. and they have maryland who's you know penn state's most embarrassing loss over the last four years and even in Jen, james franklin's tenure um is is the maryland loss last season um and that that to me is the the most embarrassing loss for the nittany lions under james franklin and the most embarrassing loss in quite some time, uh, dating back maybe even decades. Uh, Penn State should never lose to a, a team such as Maryland. That's no disrespect to the Terrapins, but the Nittany Lions should never be in that uh, be in that situation. Um, but that was just kind of the way that last year went. It was, it was not an ideal season for Penn State. It was not an ideal season uh, for, for James Franklin. And, you know, here we are. Now we're talking about uh, the 2021 season. Um, can they get back to to where they need to go? Now, also with Ohio State, they've got in Maryland, they've got um, Michigan State as well. So you've got Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Rutgers, Maryland, um, and that's just their division. Indiana, that's that's their division. Not that's not even the West where they've got Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois. Um, those those teams are tough. This is a tough schedule for the Nittany Lions. Uh, say what you want about it. Say what you want about Sean Clifford. He's going to have to bring his A game every week. Um, now, granted, you begin the season with the Big Ten game. That's never easy. Don't get me wrong. However, however, if you can come out of Wisconsin with a win, that's going to start steamrolling things. And then you get into your, your Ball State. Okay, well, Penn State should handle Ball State. If they don't handle Ball State, you've got a lot more issues than just the schedule. But you go to Ball State. You can go into. You can host Auburn at two and zero. That's a big. That's a big situation. Now, if you host Auburn one and one, your season can go a multitude of different ways. Before you host Villanova the next week uh, at home. So if you're going in to Indiana three and one or or four and zero, that's going to be very different because, like I said, Tom Allen's teams are very good. Uh, Penn State saw that. On the wrong end, last year, as Michael Penix went and helped to beat the Nittany Lions. Now, don't get me wrong. Penn State beat themselves a lot in that game. They just did not do enough to win that game. And ultimately, it showed because they just cannot recover on their way to an 0-5 start. But 
you know, if you're going into Big Ten play at three and one or four and zero, oh, that those are big differences, um, or or even two and two. Because guess what? You could I can see Penn State, you know, depending on the the play of Sean Clifford, losing to at Wisconsin. That's a tough place to play, but also losing to Auburn, who should be able to play very well under Brian Harson. Um, so if you're if you're at two and two going into or uh, hosting Indiana. That's not ideal for Penn State. Now you're hoping to get to Indiana, and you're three and zero. You've got or three and one or four and one, and you've got some momentum going into Big Ten conference play. That's going to be huge, and and maybe not necessarily into conference play because you started already, but getting into the bulk of it because Indiana's going to bring it. Penn or Iowa, you're at Iowa City. You're at you know you're going to see the Iowa Iowa wave. Kinnick Stadium is not an easy place to play by any means whatsoever. So Penn State goes to Wisconsin, then in four four week, a month later they go to um, Iowa. So Penn State's getting a bulk of their travel done at the beginning of the season. Then they you know they once they're done with Iowa they host Illinois, who they beat last year pretty easily on the last game of the season. Then they're at Columbus or at Ohio State. That's going to be a big game. That and that and that, of course that's Halloween. So that's going to be a, a raucous environment. I would expect that game to be in prime time, depending on the records of each program. Uh, but there isn't really anything that brings the ratings uh, at that time of year, like Penn State, Ohio State, um, at at the Horseshoe. Um, so that's going to be a big game. They're at Maryland. They're at College Park, which hasn't necessarily been um, a house of horrors by any means. But you know, Penn State should be ready to go to, to Maryland and and compete, which is something they didn't do when when Maryland came to University Park last year at Beaver Stadium. That, like I've said before, and I will say this at, at, um, multiple times, that was the most embarrassing loss under James Franklin. Uh, and you, I'd be hard-pressed to find another one that would be just as bad uh, moving forward. Then the Nittany Lions host Michigan. Um, who knows what you're going to get from a Jim Harbaugh team. I, I it, it beats me. His 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 career tra- trajectory and quarterback development have baffled me for multiple seasons. Um, so you just never know what you're going to get from, from him and from his program. Uh, so who knows. But... I would expect Penn State to be in a better situation than the Wolverines this year. Uh, I know a lot of people around this area might not agree with me on that one, but I do think Penn State is better than Michigan. Uh, Last year, they were both pretty embarrassing, uh, looking back on it. Then they host Rutgers. Um, Greg Schiano is going to put the team together. They're a competitive team. Um, Penn State has handled Rutgers relatively easily over the course of the last few seasons. But it's going to start to get tougher because Greg Schiano can recruit. And not only can Greg Schiano recruit, he can recruit to Piscataway, New Jersey. And if you've ever been to Piscataway, New Jersey, um, you're not really missing anything at at all. But, you know, this is an opportunity for Schiano to keep growing his program and keep um, uh, keep them moving forward. Then the Nittany Lions are at Michigan State. Um, Who knows what you're going to get. you know, brand new coach at Michigan State. So, um, it's going to be an interesting situation. Um, 
moving forward for them. But it, it you know, anything is, is possible. And I think that's the biggest thing that the Nittany Lions have, have understood um, over the course of the last few seasons. Um, because, you know, you, you've got to bring your A game. In the Big Ten, you've got to bring your A game uh, more than everything. And, and, and when I say brand new, you know, this is, this is Mel Tucker's first normal season, let's say, um, in the Big Ten. Now, they have not had a lot of success at, um, for the Spartans, and last year was just not a good year for Tucker. Um, but, you know, there's a history there. There's a history of Penn State. And obviously, you're playing for the most prestigious trophy in all of college athletics in the Land-Grant Trophy uh, at the end of the season. There's nothing quite as good as the Land-Grant Trophy, which is not only the most prestigious, but the ugliest and most hideous trophy in all of professional sport or all of collegiate sports, and honestly, even in professional sports as well, um, there isn't much uglier than that. But listen, you're playing for you're playing for that you're playing for that prestige uh, to end the season. But you know, as I've said, it, it, Penn State's got to come out ready. They've got to they've got to get through those first game, first four games of the season at three and one or four and zero oh at best. And if they're able to do that. That's going to help them get into conference play, and that's going to help them kind of steamroll. Because last year, throughout the country, teams didn't have that opportunity to play those teams like Ball State and Villanova. Those are teams that Penn State perennially beats. Those are teams that a lot those a lot of those buy games. You should beat them. Um, so Penn State's got to bring their A game uh, from the start. Because if they don't, if they go into that at one and three or, or two and two. This season could spiral out of control pretty quickly. Do I think that's going to happen? No. But like last year taught us in 2020, anything is possible. But when we come back from this short break, we're going to talk about uh, James Franklin and his family and, and kind of things that are going well on their end as they gear up for the summer and even uh, into the fall. The We Are Podcast on DK Sports Radio. Um, we're going to get into James Franklin and his family life. Now, granted, that's all very, very personal. But I think this is important to note because James Franklin, in the, over the last se- last few seasons, I personally, when, I, when James Franklin started, I thought it was a very good hire. Now, as time has gone on, you know, you kind of see things for what they are. But James Franklin, I think, is, is what's good for Penn State, both as a football program and at the university level, because he gets it. He he's, he's very well-spoken. He's, you know, say what you want about the X's and O's. He puts together a decent staff, yada, yada, yada. But what people don't see in James Franklin is the family man that he really is. He's got two daughters, a waifumi. Those, those three, those, that trio, his wife and his two daughters spent last season in Florida. And we spoke at length about this on this podcast and in a lot of other places as well. That that did not help him. He is a family man. You want to talk about Penn State football. Their family is huge. Their family is big there. He, his daughters have dressed as Trace McSorley 
at football practices. There are fixtures there. His wife as well. Um, there are a lot of practices that I've been to over the course of the last few seasons since covering the Nittany Lions where his wife and his kids have been there. And not only just his wife and his kids, but the wives and kids of other coaches and staff members as well. It's a family affair. It's a family affair at Penn State, and that's I think awesome for the for the university for the program as well. Uh, granted, <laughs> under the old regime, you had a family affair too with Joe Paterno and Jay Paterno. But let's be real, <laughs> it really wasn't relevant. Now, even with Jay Paterno being an offensive coordinator, and say what you want about that, we could speak at length about how bad that went for the Nittany Lions over the course of those years. Um, and how that's probably a big reason why Jay Paterno is nowhere near coaching right now, nor should he ever be uh, moving forward. But that's neither here nor there, and we could talk about that at a later date. But back to Franklin and his family. Franklin is a family man through and through. Um, you talk you talk about guys that have been on that staff forever. Terry Smith. Um, you got Brent Pry. Those guys are family men as well. But Franklin, you could tell a lot of times when he would talk um, – he was definitely he was definitely impacted big time uh, by his family not not just being in the same house with them but being hours upon hours away and being states and states away. You know, at first they began the pandemic in in, a, in, a, in their uh, vacation home in Colorado. Then they went to their beach house in in Florida, and that's where his wife and his kids stayed um, until you know until recently. Now they're back. And not only are they back, but his two daughters have just recently been able to get vaccinated. Now, the reason for that is his, his youngest daughter does have a sickle cell uh, trait that makes her vulnerable to the coronavirus um, and and susceptible to, that, to, to other illnesses. So that's why he did that. Now, up until this point, he'd been sleeping in the garage. And, he, and I'm not saying he was in a doghouse by any means, but... You know, anytime you hear a, a guy like James Franklin was like, "Oh, well, I'm, I'm just crashing the garage. I get to wave at my kids across the little patio, or, or, or however the house is laid out." You know, you kind of, you, you kind of, like I just did, like you kind of laugh about it. But if that's the nature of the beast, James Franklin is around. James Franklin is around 120, 150 people at least every day, and that's just at football practice. That's not his speaking engagements. That's not him being out on campus. That's not him being out on the recruiting trail. That's not him interacting with admins, boosters, whatever. But he, when he is around his football team, that's 120, 150 kids plus their coaching staff, which is uh, another 20 or 30 people um, uh, at, the, at the most, I would say. Um, so he's around 150 people a day, 100, let's say 160 a day. That's 160 opportunities to be in a vulnerable position to get um, to get ill to get that sickness and, and to transmit those uh those germs and, and and anything you can have in mind and that's that's not ideal when you have a daughter that's susceptible to those things but you can tell that it impacted him uh you can tell that it impacted a lot of those people i think uh, uh, one of the biggest things that i've seen under uh under james franklin is the the close-knit um aspect of their staff and you just never felt that last year and and you know they they didn't have any COVID issues they didn't lose a single game um, now they had a lot of false positives, but I think the fact that James Franklin and his daughters have been able to get those vaccinated vaccinations, I think is huge. Not just because that it's James Franklin, right? You know, he's the highest paid um, state employee in, in, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. 
So, you know, a- anywhere he goes, he's going to have a target on his back. Um, but to have his daughters be vaccinated, have him one step closer to normalcy for James Franklin, I think is huge. And one step closer to normalcy for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. You know, as, as these mask mandates kind of wear off and, you know, you get back to that sense of normalcy. Will Penn State have a, have a full capacity? Um, I, I, anything is possible. Um, you know, <laughs> Penn State is, is known for squeezing as many people into Beaver Stadium as you can. Uh, they need the money. Uh, the university needs the money. How could you turn that down? Um, you know, a uh, full capacity, 110,000 people, let's say. Uh, 110,000 people times, um, let's say $65 a pop for tickets. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big chunk of money because, and it, because that's just the base, right? That's not the ticket fees. That's not the donations that they get from the Nittany Lions Club. So there are a lot of opportunities for Penn State to make money. But let's say 110,000. Let me do this uh, quick math here. 110,000 times 65, which is the base price. So that's I think that's the last price that I paid for a ticket at Penn State. That is seven seven point one five million dollars per game base. That's just the base. That's just a, a rough estimate based on. The $65 ticket prices. That's not club seating. That's not, you know, um, season tickets, which are, are I would imagine, are, are cheaper. That's not the resale market. That's not student tickets. But roughly 110000 at 65 bucks a pop, you're looking at that. Now, that's also not charging more for an Ohio State or for this year it would be a Michigan. So, you know that that could be so anywhere around seven and eight million dollars. I think is a is a fair guess. That's per home game, okay? That's per home game. Now, you know you've got one, two. You got Rutgers, Michigan, Illinois. That's three. Indiana. That's four. Uh, Villanova. That's five. Auburn. That's six. Ball State. That's seven. That's seven home games. So, times seven. That's fifty million dollars just in gate revenue alone on a rough end, right? There's, this aren't, these numbers aren't accurate. So that's that's a big chunk of money. That pays for Kale Sanderson to take his team to the Big Ten Championships, to Nationals. That t- pays for the fencing team to go wherever they need to go to win their National Championships. That pays for the softball team to go play Robert Morris um, in a pipe dream for me uh, as a Robert Morris alum. But that's that pays for those things. That's that's big time money. That's just football gate revenue. That's not that's not tailgating. So that's not that's not the parking fees of forty dollars per car. Hundred and ten thousand people have to get there. Um, so <laughs> that's a lot of money too. And then and there are a lot of people at Penn State that don't go into games at tailgate. So you know that's a lot of money as well. And that's not concessions. That's not um, any of those things either. That's a lot of money. So for um, I do think now that you know we talked about James Franklin and his family getting vaccinated, as these vaccinations happen, as everything kind of goes back to to somewhat normal um, with with fans 
and people maybe not necessarily needing to wear masks if they're fully vaccinated, that we could see a full capacity at Beaver Stadium um, come September when Ball State rolls around September 11th. Um, I think that, you know, as long as they can do it in a safe and healthy manner, uh, nobody knows what it's going to be like in September. But if Penn State is able to handle it um, in a safe and, and efficient manner, they are going to have as many people as they can in those games, in the, in each and every game um, that the Nittany Lions play. Um, because you just can't turn down that money. There's not anybody in the world that would turn down $50 million for a football weekend or football season. Um, and like I said, those are rough numbers. But that's that's what Penn State's looking at. That's, that's a lot of money. And if Penn State can get to that point, once fans, coaches, players can be vaccinated – media members, whatever you need to do, or, or anybody that needs to, to do anything to, to get back to that sense of normalcy, that's exactly what, what is needed. Um, and I think, Penn, and, and like I said, when it, when Ball State rolls around September 11th, um, I, I do believe that you're going to see over 100,000 people at Beaver Stadium. Now, whether that happens or not, whether I'm right or I'm wrong, remains to be seen. But we have a whole summer to, to talk and discuss that. But in the meantime, I thank you as always for listening to the We Are Podcast on DK Sports Radio. This has been your host, Jared Prugar, and I will catch you on the flip side next week um, with an all-new episode of the We Are Podcast on DK Sports Radio. Have a great week, stay healthy, and I will catch you next week.